0: Section five of Billy Budd by Herman Melville. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Scientific Methodist. Chapter eleven Pale Ire, Envy, and Despair. That Kleigert's figure was not amiss, and his face, save the chin, well molded, has already been said of these favorable points he seemed not insensible for he was not only neat but careful in his dress but the form of billy budd was heroic and if his face was without the intellectual look of the pallid cligerts not the less was it lit like his from within though from a different source the bonfire in his heart made luminous the rose tan in his cheek in view of the marked contrast between the persons of the twain It is more than probable that when the master-at-arms in the scene last given applied to the sailor the proverb, handsome is as handsome does, he there let escape an ironic inkling, not caught by the young sailors who heard it, as to what it was that had first moved him against Billy, namely, his significant personal beauty. Now envy and antipathy, passions irreconcilable in reason, nevertheless, in fact, may spring conjoined like Chang and Eng in one birth. Is envy, then, such a monster? Well, though many an arraigned mortal has, in hopes of mitigated penalty, pleaded guilty to horrible actions, did ever anybody seriously confess to envy? Something there is in it universally felt to be more shameful than even felonious crime. And not only does everybody disown it, but the better sort are inclined to incredulity when it is in earnest imputed to an intelligent man. But since its lodgment is in the heart, not the brain, No degree of intellect supplies a guarantee against it. But Kligert's was no vulgar form of the passion. Nor, as directed toward Billy Budd, did it partake of that streak of apprehensive jealousy that marred Saul's visage perturbedly brooding on the comely young David. Kligert's envy struck deeper. If askance he eyed the good looks, cheery health, and frank enjoyment of young life in Billy Budd, it was because these happened to go along with a nature that, as Kligert magnetically felt, had in its simplicity never willed malice, or experienced the reactionary bite of that serpent. To him the spirit lodged within Billy, and looking out from his welkin eyes as from windows, that ineffability which made the dimple in his dyed cheek, suppled his joints, and danced in his yellow curls, made him pre-eminently the handsome sailor. One person accepted, the master-at-arms was perhaps the only man in the ship intellectually capable of adequately appreciating the moral phenomenon presented in Billy Budd, and the insight but intensified his passion, which assuming various secret forms within him, at times assumed that of cynic disdain, disdain of innocence. To be nothing more than innocent. Yet in an aesthetic way he saw the charm of it, the courageous free and easy temper of it, and fain would have shared it, but he despaired of it. With no power to annul the elemental evil in himself, though he could hide it readily enough, apprehending the good but powerless to be it, what recourse is left to a nature like kleigert's surcharged with energy as such natures almost invariably are, but to recoil upon itself, and, like the scorpion for which the creator alone is responsible, act out to the end its allotted part? Passion, and passion in its profoundest, is not a thing demanding a palatial stage whereon to play its part. Down among the groundlings, among the beggars and rakers of the garbage, profound passion is enacted, and the circumstances that provoke it, however trivial or mean, are no measure of its power. In the present instance the stage is a scrubbed gun deck, and one of the external provocations a man-of-war's man's spilled soup. Now when the master-at-arms noticed whence came that greasy fluid streaming before his feet, he must have taken it, to some extent willfully perhaps, not for the mere accident it assuredly was, but for the sly escape of a spontaneous feeling on Billy's part more or less answering to the antipathy on his own. In effect a foolish demonstration, he must have thought, and very harmless, like the futile kick of a heifer, which yet were the heifer a shod stallion, would not be so harmless." Even so was it that into the gall of envy Clygard infused the vitriol of his contempt. But the incident confirmed to him certain tell tale reports, purveyed to his ear by Squeak, one of his more cunning corporals, a grizzled little man, so nicknamed by the sailors on account of his squeaky voice and sharp visage ferreting about the dark corners of the lower decks after interlopers, satirically suggesting to them the idea of a rat in a cellar. Now his chiefs employing him as an implicit tool in laying little traps for the worriment of the foretopman, for it was from the master-at-arms that the petty persecutions heretofore averted to had proceeded, the corporal, having naturally enough concluded that his master could have no love for the sailor, made it his business, faithful understrapper that he was, to ferment the ill-blood by perverting to his chief certain innocent frolics of the good-natured foretopman, besides inventing for his mouth sundry, contumelious epithets he claimed to have overheard him let fall. The Master-at-Arms never suspected the veracity of these reports, more especially as to the epithets, for he well knew how secretly unpopular may become a Master-at-Arms, at at least a Master-at-Arms in those days, zealous in his function, and how the Blue Jackets shoot at him in private their raillery and wit, the nickname by which he goes among them, jemmy legs, implying under the form of merriment their cherished disrespect and dislike. In view of the greediness of hate for provocation, it hardly needed a purveyor to feed Cligert's passion. An uncommon prudence is habitual with the subtler depravity, for it has everything to hide, and in case of any merely suspected injury, its secretiveness voluntarily cuts it off from enlightenment or disillusion, and not unreluctantly, Action is taken upon surmise as upon certainty, and the retaliation is apt to be in monstrous disproportion to the supposed offence, for when in anybody was revenge in its exactions aught else but an inordinate usurer? But how with Cligert's conscience? For though consciences are unlike as foreheads, every intelligence, not excluding the scriptural devils who believe and tremble, has one. But Cligert's conscience, being but the lawyer to his will, made ogres of trifles, probably arguing that the motive imputed to Billy in spilling the soup just when he did, together with the epithets alleged, these, if nothing more, made a strong case against him, nay, justified animosity into a sort of retributive righteousness. The Pharisee is the Guy fox prowling in the hid chambers underlying some natures like Cligert's, and they can really form no conception of an unreciprocated malice. Probably the master-at-arms clandestine persecution of Billy was started to try the temper of the man, but it had not developed any quality in him that enmity could make official use of, or ever pervert into even plausible self-justification, so that the occurrence at the mess, petty if it were, was a welcome one to that peculiar conscience assigned to be the private mentor of Cligert, and for the rest, not improbably, it put him upon new experiments. Chapter 12 Not many days after the last incident narrated, something befell Billy Budd that more graveled him than aught that had previously occurred. It was a warm night for the latitude, and the foretopman, whose watch at the time was properly below, was dozing on the uppermost deck whither he had ascended from his hot hammock, one of hundreds suspended so closely wedged together over a lower gun deck that there was little or no swing to them. He lay as in the shadow of a hillside stretched under the lee of the booms, a piled ridge of spare spars, and among which the ship's largest boat, the launch, was stowed. Alongside three other slumberers from below, he lay near one end of the booms which approached from the foremast his station aloft on duty as a foretopman, topman being just over the deck station of the forecastleman, entitling him according to usage to make himself more or less at home in that neighborhood. Presently he was stirred into semi-consciousness by somebody, who must have previously sounded the sleep of the others, touching his shoulder, and then, as the foretopman topman raised his head, breathing into his ear in a quick whisper, "'Slip into the lee forechains, chains Billy. There is something in the wind. Don't speak. Quick!' "'I will meet you there,' and disappeared. "'Now Billy, like sundry other essentially good-natured ones, "'had some of the weaknesses inseparable from essential good-nature, "'and among these was a reluctance, almost an incapacity, "'of plumbly saying no to an abrupt proposition "'not obviously absurd on the face of it, "'nor obviously unfriendly, nor iniquitous. "'And being of warm blood had not the phlegm "'to negate any proposition by unresponsive inaction.' like his sense of fear his apprehension as to aught outside of the honest and natural was seldom very quick besides upon the present occasion the drowse from his sleep still hung upon him however it was he mechanically rose and sleepily wondering what could be in the wind betook himself to the designated place a narrow platform one of six outside of the high bulwarks and screened by the great dead-eyes and multiple-columned lanyards of the shrouds and backstays and in a great warship of that time of dimensions commensurate to the ample hull's magnitude a tarry balcony in short overhanging the sea and so secluded that one mariner of the indomitable a nonconformist old tar of a serious turn made it even in daytime his private oratory in this retired nook the stranger soon joined billy Budd. there was no moon as yet a haze obscured the starlight he could not distinctly see the stranger's face Yet from something in the outline and carriage, Billy took him to be, and correctly, one of the afterguard. "'Hist, Billy!' said the man in the same quick, cautionary whisper as before. "'You were impressed, weren't you? Well, so was I.' And he paused as to mark the effect. But Billy, not knowing exactly what to make of this, said nothing. Then the other. "'We are not the only impressed ones, Billy. There's a gang of us. Couldn't you help at a pinch?' "'What do you mean?' demanded Billy, here shaking off his drowse. "'Hist, hist!' the hurried whisper now growing husky. "'See here!' and the man held up two small objects, faintly twinkling in the night light. "'See, they are yours, Billy, if you'll only—' But Billy broke in, and in his resentful eagerness to deliver himself, his vocal infirmity somewhat intruded. D d "'Dammy, I don't know what you were d- driving at or what you mean, but you had better g- g- go where you belong!' For the moment, the fellow, as confounded, did not stir, and Billy, springing to his feet, said, "If you d don't start, I'll t- t- toss you back over the r- rail." There was no mistaking this, and the mysterious emissary decamped, disappearing in the direction of the mainmast in the shadow of the booms. "Hallo! What's the matter?" Here came growling from a forecastleman awakened from his deck doze by Billy's raised voice, and as the foretopman reappeared and was recognized by him. "'Ah, beauty, is it you? "'Well, something must have been the matter, "'for you st-st-stuttered.' "'Oh,' rejoined Billy, now mastering the impediment, "'I found an after-guardsman in our part of the ship here, "'and I bid him be off where he belongs.' "'And is that all you did about it for, Topman?' gruffly demanded another, an irascible old fellow of brick-colored visage and hair, and who was known to his associate forecastleman as Red Pepper. "'Such sneaks I should like to marry to the gunner's daughter.' by that expression meaning that he would like to subject them to disciplinary castigation over a gun. However, Billy's rendering of the matter satisfactorily accounted to these inquirers for the brief commotion, since of all the sections of a ship's company the forecastlemen, veterans for the most part, and bigoted in their sea prejudices, are the most jealous in resenting territorial encroachments, especially on the part of any of the afterguard of whom they have but a sorry opinion. Chiefly landsmen, never going aloft except to reef or furl the mainsail, and in no wise competent to handle a marling spike or turn in a dead eye, say. End of section five. Recording by Scientific Methodist.